Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and on social media. Welcome to episode 243 of Geekitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. After a little bit of a hiatus, I am joined by my good friend Ray Vargas. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing good, Joe. How's it going? Um, it is going. <laughs> <laughs> you sound tired, my friend. I am exhausted. Um, <laughs> it is. It has been okay. So we're back at school. Yes. A hundred and eighty degree turnaround from last year. It is so much better this year. Wait, are you talking about temperatures or? <laughs> oh God, no! Oh God, no! I don't understand what is going on out in the desert. The desert is supposed to be dry. What the hell is this? Like humidity? I'm just not okay with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it sounds like. The culture of your classroom has has changed a bit for you. Oh my god! It feels like I'm being like I feels like I'm an actual teacher again. It's really weird. It's so different from last year. Hell yeah! That's awesome. Yeah, that's no, great. It's been, it's been great. the The kids are um, relatively invested. Uh, my classroom discipline style seems to be working again because I'm much like. <laughs> I'm very much the <laughs> no stop. And um <laughs> and usually that's effective. Like I tease them and they go, okay, then that was not appropriate, and then we move on. Yeah. Um they don't they don't feel bad, I don't feel bad, we're good. Um for for example, this I thought was hilarious. One of uh the girls in my class is a cheerleader, so she's in her full cheerleader garb and she is hitting the boy next to her because I don't know if you guys know this, but teenage girls hit a lot. <laughs> um and so she is like pounding on the kid next to her and he's laughing and he's like, no, stop. And I said, uh, I said, you know, her name. And I said, uh, no means no. And she goes, he didn't say no. He said, stop. And both him and I just <laughs> looked at her and she goes, yeah, I heard it. That was bad. Sorry. And, <laughs> and we moved on. That is, that is Mr. Hogan's style of discipline. <laughs> That's great. That sounds like everyone shares the accountability. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. So um, we cast our show last week. It was, uh, I've got a cast of 19 people. Nobody has dropped yet. Wow, 19. Um, 19. Uh, I actually shit. had to kind of like rearrange the show to get uh, spaces for more people because everybody who auditioned was decent and I didn't want to wow. like, get rid of anybody. So we've got that. I've got all my advanced class kids going, and they're getting the entire space reorganized. And I've got GSA getting back up and running. And I am absolutely fucking exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. That that sounds like you're exhausted for good reasons this time, as opposed to the last couple of years where. You know, it's sort of it, it sounds like it's been a, it had been a struggle for you to sort of get your um, get your classroom culture back to the way you 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 know how to do it. and You like to do it. Right. Exactly. And so it's it has it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. I think everybody is tired because we're still like we're getting back into the routine that we used to have, but our systems are still not used to it. Yeah. So uh, it's going to take a little bit of of re coordinating. But, so let me but ask we're getting you, there. What do you think? What do you think changed with the students? 
Well, I think towards the end of last year, I was starting to say it was starting to feel like it was going back to the way it was a little bit. Like it, mm-hmm. I'd say about March, April, I was like, okay, this is starting to feel familiar again. And like so a I think classroom, like a high school classroom. Yeah. I mean, class, the, the shows were going up, they weren't amazing, but they were going. Um, and so I think everybody kind of left on the same level as you would normally leave a school year. So when they came back, it was, they, they weren't, they weren't starting over. Right. Do you think the students attitudes towards you and towards your classroom, like change significantly? Um, no, because I've got a lot of new kids, like really most of my kids that I'm having for a second time, I've got, you know, a couple here that were in theater one and now are in stagecraft or vice versa. Yeah. But for the most part, the only kids that I have again from previous um, uh, years is the the advanced kids, and so that's just my sixth period every day. And right. I, they're they're great. I'm we're having a good time with them. But the um, I think I think it's just the the overall culture has changed. We have had um, our freshmen have been in school for a year again. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I think makes a huge difference is that I don't have any freshmen except for my one theater one class, because Mm -hmm. I think the guy who used to teach stagecraft before me um, didn't allow freshmen in, and I'm not going to tell them to change that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, The freshmen in my theater class are the freshmaniest of freshmen, so they kind (laughs) of make up for it. But but I think that, uh, because last year I did have freshmen in all of my... um, Stagecraft classes, I think that makes a huge difference. I just yeah. don't have the squirmy antsiness that comes with freshmen. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there's a lot of there's just a lot of factors, and I think also people now recognize me on campus, even if they've never had me. They're like, oh, that's the new theater teacher, or that's the theater teacher. It's not even that's the new theater teacher because right. I'm I'm not brand new, and I think right, you know, when people start seeing you around campus more regularly, they just you know, it comes with a little bit of, oh, they've they've survived their initial years, so they're not going anywhere. Yeah, I think that's probably a lot of it is like he's he's sticking around like he's not he's not sick, going to get sick of us and quit or you know what I mean? Like, right, exactly. Yeah. Like he's going to invest. Yeah. And and I think because they see that, you know, we've got a show that's actually going and we have, you know, GSA is getting back on track. And so yeah. like a lot of the stuff that I'm associated with is also cool. um, sticking around and maintaining. So I think people are like, okay, this is not, this is not a new guy anymore. That's really cool. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I was, <laughs> I was, I wasn't dreading going back this year, but I definitely was a little bit more hesitant this year. Mm. And I think after the first week I came back and told Matt, I was like, I, th- I think we're good. <laughs> I, think is, I think this is fine. <laughs> yeah. I think can, I can do can, this. Yeah, we can step down from red alert. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. How have you been? Um, it, I mean, it is a trip to be back, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. still being very careful. I'm, you know, still wearing a mask more than half the time. I would say there, there are, there are sort of designated instances now where I know, you know, that I, I feel safe enough to take off my mask. But for the most part, I'm wearing my mask um, because I am visiting um, 
high school classrooms again. So my my job is back into the full experience of what an admissions counselor does, you know, although I would even go so far as to say we probably do more now because there, I mean, I used to give maybe a handful of portfolio reviews a year or a semester, I should say, just because in order to give a portfolio review, a student would have to email me their work. And then Mm -hmm. I would have to set time aside to sit down and write a full email about their work or when, you know, oftentimes I would just schedule a phone call and I'm like, let's just talk about your work. Cause it's easier for me to do that than to write a long dense email, giving you, you know, specific feedback on your work. Now we just meet on zoom. And okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now I just share my screen. We, we talk on zoom and we go over their imagery, their, their images. And when I tell you, I do like five times, if not more, as many portfolio reviews a year now as I did before. So that on top of now back to the full travel schedule, pretty much. We're not quite there because some places have not yet reinstituted their events and stuff. But for the most part, I mean, I'm, I'm traveling a lot this year. I'm already all over the place. I'm going to be flying to multiple different cities across the country this year. Um, so and then on top of that, um, I've you know, I've sort of been promoted to more responsibility at work and I'm in more meetings and I'm, you know, helping to make more decisions. I'm included in more conversations and planning. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's a lot. It's, <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> it's a good thing that I feel rested. <laughs> it's a great yes. thing that I finished my degree, you know, my graduate degree, <laughs> Right, um, doing all that with the with the the masters still hanging over your head would have been a lot. Man, I mean, I even now I'm going. How did I have time to do graduate level classes the last five years? Because it took me right. five years. To, yeah, I. It's so funny how whatever space you carve out for yourself and you're expecting it to be extra space is actually immediately occupied by something. It's like you never, it's right. It's like the more capacity you have, the more things are there are to fill it. And you never get that feeling of like, okay, I have like, there's nothing, you know, like I can, I can just exist. So I don't know. I'm yeah, sure no, that's, have- a, that's not a thing at all. Existing <laughs> is not an option. <laughs> you have to be yeah. actively participating at every moment. <laughs> and listen, I'm sure I have a, a hand in that as well, because I like taking on projects as I know you do as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I don't know I mean, about you, but there was a lot of stuff that I took on during um, uh, online learning and, and mm-hmm. pandemic and mm-hmm. we're all, you know, Bunkered down. I don't want to give any of that up, but now that I've got real, real responsibilities added back in, it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> how how does how do I make this work now? Because it's exactly. a lot of stuff that I've committed to. <laughs> exactly, that is a hundred percent what I'm experiencing right now. So it is it is great to be back in classrooms. Uh, Sean Daly, actually, who we've talked about before, friend of the show. Uh, yes. <laughs> He's, he messaged me, I think on Instagram, he replied to one of my stories and about, you know, I'm, I'm posting pictures of being back in classrooms and talking about working with students a lot on my social media now, especially Instagram. And 
he messaged me one day and was like, you, you miss him, don't you? And I'm like, yup. And, and I know, you mm-hmm. know, he just, the students, you know, like it, it just sort of in general, you know, like being around students, being around like that energy, being around that learning environment where that sort of like community, you know, is, is born the way it is in a classroom. Yeah. It's, it's great to be back in that, even though in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, like every day is a risk now. <laughs> like, you know, right, I, right, right. I, I just recently, I, I got not re- super recently, but about, I want to say maybe a month ago, maybe more, I got uh, another booster shot. So, and I know that there's a new one that's just c- rolling out now that is supposed to cover um, the very, you know, the latest variants of COVID. So uh, probably, Soon I'll be eligible to get that one, which I want to do. I've I'm in the process of getting my monkeypox vaccinations. I got one shot already, so I've just got to wait for enough time to pass by to get my second shot. Uh, so that's making me feel a little bit better, you know. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there is obviously we're still surrounded by risks. It's not like COVID has gone away. <laughs> no, so no, and I I think because I <laughs> this Wednesday I had originally. Um, I had originally scheduled my second monkeypox shot for this Wednesday, but I just found out that they had the, um, the new variant version of the COVID shot. And so I was like, okay, that's kind of more important. I feel like with what I'm dealing with. So I made a schedule. So technically on Wednesday, I have an appointment to get monkeypox shot. Um, uh, my new COVID booster and my flu shot. Awesome. And I need to talk to my doctor and go, am I going to regret this? <laughs> <laughs> Is Thursday going to be a really bad day? <laughs> probably. You're probably going to, at the very least, you're going to want to lay down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him and see if it's even possible that I can do that. I may have to postpone the monkey pox shot. Cause I feel like that's the one that's least valuable for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I should be able to postpone it, even if it's just a couple days to um, just so that they're not right on top of each other. But yeah, we're, we're, <laughs> we're vaccinating the hell out of ourselves because we're just done. We're like, we're yeah, not, man. we're not going to sequester anymore. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I know it's, uh, it's, that's a whole nother shift, right? It's like the mental, mm-hmm shift as well when you're thinking about your health and like i mean i'm i'm seeing unfortunately you know i'm seeing relatively young people pass around me i feel like every other day mm-hmm. you know some complications from this you know what i mean or right some sort of illness that just progressed and you know it, it's still uh, somewhat a game of russian roulette i feel like and that's that's mm-hmm, really mm-hmm. scary um but you know, we do what we can. So I'm glad yeah. to hear you're doing what you can. Um, now I don't know about you, but do you <laughs> do you still suffer from the I don't want to go out syndrome, where you go out and you're like, this is not okay. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I am not. I am not okay right now. I am having issues, <laughs> and this is just a regular everyday social event. This is not something I should be worried about. <laughs> Why is my body telling me this is not good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I have to say, I'm a little bit on the side of, yeah, this probably isn't perfectly a hundred percent fine. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so, so there is some part of me that's going, yeah, I, I know why, 
like, like I said, cal- it, everything's a risk. Everything's sort of like mm-hmm. risk, risk assessment. Like, okay, how many people are in this room right now and how well ven- ventilated is this room? And that's just now part of the calculus of every day. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> not that I'm going to go anywhere because half the time I have to be there for work or something, but now it's like, Oh great. Just one more thing that I get to worry about that. I can't do anything about beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cause we so, didn't have control issues before. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely have to talk about like how and when we're going to be able to squeeze in episodes, but I'm going to be, I mean, I, let's see, uh, this past week we're recording on, on Monday on labor day. Um, but last week, I started off the week in um, up in Duarte, which is like that's where the two ten makes the six oh five, and then the next three days I was up in Ventura County. So I was in Ventura, I was in Moore Park, I was in Oxnard, um, and then on Friday I was in Santa Clarita up by Magic Mountain, um, and that was just my first week. So. That's not uh, even going out of town. I mean, that's that's just the LA area, <laughs> right? But like Ventura County is pretty damn far, you know, and that's considered yeah. my local territory. So it takes me two and a half, three hours in the morning to drive up to my local territory, uh, that's a and I get drive. Yes, Joe. Oh my god, just a horrible drive. I used to date somebody out in Ventura, and I was like, "This is it. You got to come down to me once in a while because this is not working." Yeah, it is a terrible drive, and um. You know, thankfully, I'm able to get a hotel out there so I can just stay out there for a few days. Um, but like next week, I'm going to be in L.A., like closer to downtown area. And then um, later this month, I'm going to fly to Atlanta and be in Atlanta for a few days. And then next month, I'm uh, flying to Virginia and to Baltimore. I'm excited about mm-hmm. Baltimore. I've never yeah. been. Yeah. And then uh, at the end of this year, I'm going to be in New Orleans and Louisiana area. And then in January, I'm going to be in Miami, Florida. So, uh, and then of course the local quote unquote local territory doesn't stop. So in between those, you know, out of state trips, I'm driving all over, uh, you know, I'm going to be up in Santa Barbara in a few weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be all over LA and parts of Long Beach and stuff. So yeah, that's, that's. Rolling Stone. That's a lot. That's a, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, I got my bag. I got my trusty, you know, overnight to two night stay bag ready to go. It, it, all of the travel accoutrement becomes extremely important. Like I have never spent so much time thinking about like how to charge my devices on the road, like a quick way to like, right, you right, know, right. I, I researched and bought this like three in one fold up travel charger that I can charge my phone, my AirPods and my Apple watch on at the same time. I was so excited about that. Like (laughs) more more excited than I had, you know, than reasonable. And because these sorts of things become like, Oh wait, you mean I can wear that pair, those pair of shoes with these three outfits and they work like, okay, great. Like they're travel. And then, you know, I can wear them to like an important meeting and it's it, just stuff like that, dude. It just becomes your whole life becomes like a capsule life, you know? Yeah. Now do you have, um, do you have global entry for when you fly? What is global, global entry, global entry. So you get your global entry card. You can, there's different places. You can, basically it's, the government looks at you, they do a background check, and then they go, okay, yeah, you're not going to blow anything up, so we're going to reduce the amount of security you have to go through. Oh, wonderful. We, yes, we call that TSA pre-check. 
Yeah, we get the pre-check, but we also like for us when we got it, we get the um like when we go out of the country, our coming back into customs is like ridiculously quick. Oh, got like it. just ridiculously quick. So like I I don't want to we're just gonna keep this between us uh listeners because we do not want <laughs> everybody to know about this because then it's not useful. But Get if you're gonna travel, especially internationally, get your global entry cards. It is very much worth it. Well, thankfully, I do not have to travel internationally. Um, but if I did, yes, that would be the thing. TSA pre-check is amazing because I literally. So you've got the pre-check then? It yes, yes, okay, yes, and my job pays for it, and it's great. I also get to key. I think I mentioned this before, but I I do all my own booking of my travel and so i keep all my points all my miles all everything is under my name nice yeah it's great so you know i i rack i easily as you can imagine i easily rack up points and miles and you know if if i ever want to take a personal trip it's it's covered so it's pretty great that's Uh, very cool yeah yeah i am getting back did you have well you probably didn't have this issue but it had been a while since I'd spoken to a classroom out loud, um, sort of like for 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 an elongated period of time. So mm-hmm. my, I lost my voice a couple of times this past week. Yeah. I just, oh, yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> every year. <laughs> that was a little unexpected. Yeah. No, we do that. Like, I was just talking to, to my friend Michael at school, and he... Um, like he was very hoarse and I was like, Oh, you've got first week voice. And he's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, he, and he, he lives on his own. So, you know, he goes, there's sometimes where I'll go days without actually verbalizing anything. And I, you know, so having to like talk literally all day, your voice, like, what are you doing? <laughs> yes. Yes. That was exactly it. Okay. First yeah. week voice. Got it. First week, yes. <laughs> oh man, it's a struggle, especially because you don't want to be, in a, you don't want to be coughing your ass off in a classroom, you know? Right, especially now. Like, I feel like anytime I cough or I choke or something, I <laughs> it's not COVID. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, we've both been busy. It sounds like the start of the the start of fall. The start of this fall semester is for both of us probably like a pretty busy time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. Um, I know this is like our weekly geekery time. I have one question for you. Have you been watching She-Hulk? Oh my God. Yes. Are you loving it? <laughs> yes, I am. Are you? Yes. I did not love the first episode. I felt like the first episode was a little too Hulk smash. And I think it was mm-hmm. that purposefully so that we could get it out of our system Mm-hmm. And we could move on with the rest of the story. But mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, get through this. I want to see fun Jennifer Walters stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The The first episode did feel for us like it it ended halfway through the story that it should have told. Yeah. And we we're just like, oh, okay. I guess that was just to introduce the character to audiences that had never heard of this character before. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting that how it's getting so much hate. <laughs> so much online. I mean, probably not from a lot of people, but from a very vocal 
group of people, right? Which is just ridiculous. Like, I fr- my friend was talking about how I guess they're all upset at the the um, stinger at the end of the last episode because she was twerking. Yeah, she was twerking. It's Jennifer Walters is totally fine. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> like, of course she's like, have you read the comic book? <laughs> Maybe I she didn't. Maybe she didn't twerk in the comic book, but that's a very hard thing to put into a comic book. So she has done plenty of other things that are on par with that because it's Jennifer Walters and she loves being the She-Hulk. Yes, exactly. And I I keep thinking, uh, going back to what uh, I had said on this podcast before, which is, you know, Marvel's doing the smart thing and they're diversifying their brand. And just Mm -hmm. like Marvel Comics publishes a lot of different types of comic book titles, you know, something for everyone, but probably not everything for everyone. You know, the same thing is going on with the MCU now, which is smart for them. So I recognize that not every show is going to be Captain America, the winter soldier. I feel like (laughs) there's a segment of probably male, you know, uh, uh, MCU fans that want everything that the MCU puts out to be in that specific genre of Captain America, winter soldier, which I get it. I love that movie. I understand why it's considered one of the best, you know, things the MCU has put out, but it doesn't mean that everything they put out is going to be in that sort of uh, story or approach. I still, and I'm like, I feel like a broken record. I don't understand how you can get upset at more diverse storytelling. Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yes, it may not be your favorite thing. There's been plenty of things that I like. For example, I enjoyed how it tied into the Marvel Universe. I didn't love Loki. It wasn't my favorite thing. But I'm not sitting there going, it shouldn't be there because I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like it, somebody did really, really like it, and so mm-hmm. just. You know, follow what you want to follow. Don't follow what you don't want to follow. And mm-hmm. don't don't ick everybody's yum. <laughs> yeah, for real. Exactly. So what are some of your favorite things so far about the um, show? Well, I, I, I love uh, Tatiana Mulaney. I think that's her name. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like the fact that – because you still haven't seen Orphan Black, right? I still have, no, not no. I haven't. Like, like you just – she like you can never truly appreciate this actress <laughs> until you see that series but um i love her i think it's fun i like just kind of the humor in it i think it's very cleverly written Mm. um the the breaking the fourth wall doesn't break me out of it that often like you know what i mean it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's forced i just think it's i just think it's a very clever fun show how about you yeah, I I agree with the breaking the fourth wall, which I know the comic book is somewhat famous for. Uh, I like how they've used it so far. It's not as much as I thought they were going to use it, um, mm-hmm. but it feels like you said, like it feels it's it's done well in the right moments. It's sort of peppered in there, and then you keep going with the story at hand, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just a little. It's a little humor point, and then you move on. Exactly. It's not like a huge wink to the audience or anything like that. Um, I also like the way they're not being shy about connecting this show to various points of the Marvel universe already. Um, just taking full advantage of the fact that she's a high profile lawyer. People know her, people know who she is. Um, she's, you know, somewhat of a celebrity. So 
just dr- pulling in. What was it? I think in the, in the latest episode at one point, she goes, this is not going to be a cameo show. But then she realizes, oh, shit, like there's been a ton of cameos so far. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to keep going and we're going to get more because we know from the trailers that Daredevil's going to show up. So I think that's great. I think I love the fact that they're leaning into it. Right, because her character is at an, a place where intersection is going to happen. Like, yes. like a lot of the characters are going to be funneled through the system, and she happens to be part of the system. I also think that um, the MCU does tend to get flack sometimes for making things other otherwise dramatic stories, sort of punching them up with comedic moments, you know, and and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I can agree with some of that, you know, I, I I can recognize there are times where a dramatic moment doesn't need to have a little joke at the end to cap it off because it sort of undermines the drama. I don't agree right. with with every time that that's complained about, but sometimes I can see it. It's nice to have a show where that's not a concern whatsoever. At least it shouldn't be for anyone. This show is the comedic capper, but an entire show of it, you know? So it's like, that's okay. We can just lean back, relax and enjoy it and just take it in. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. Um, I okay. So, spoilers for the last episode for episode three. So, if you haven't watched episode three, um, just earmuffs for like twenty seconds. We got the Wrecking Crew, Ray. How ridiculous is that? I was wondering who that was. I'm like, I know that's a team. That's like a B level team or maybe D level team. I don't know from from Marvel Comics, but I couldn't think of the name, and I didn't even bother looking it up. I think, okay, so theory, I think okay. that this elf that's causing all the problems, um, I think she is going to give them better powers. I think she's actually, I think they're actually going to become a bigger threat because mm-hmm. in the comics, they they are a pretty regular threat and they're all like, they're like Thor villains. They're like, mm. they took down, they are the ones that took down Hercules in the um really the, yeah in the Masters of Evil versus the Avengers oh back in the I think 80s like it was great like it was one of the biggest groups of Masters of Evil which is the big super group that always ends up going up against the Avengers and um and what they did is they changed tactics and so everybody nobody went after their hero that they're always going up against they all switched heroes and so they tried to kind of figure out how to um use their powers to better a an avenger that they hadn't confronted before and because the avenger hadn't confronted them before they were kind of at a loss and so i'm pretty sure it was the wrecking crew that took out hercules like literally just beat him to a pulp wow okay so they are they are a bigger level threat than they were portrayed so i'm like i think there's gonna be more here well if you came back 30 seconds ago after the initial 20 seconds we still haven't named who joe's talking about (laughs) but if we're just gonna carry on the tradition of being a spoiler podcast you know you should know by now that um you know we're we're gonna be we're, we're checking in about she-hulk because you and i haven't talked about she-hulk since it started so no, that was no. like 
top of my list for Weekly Geekery. I know today's show is about Sandman. I'm excited to talk to you about that, but I had to check in with you about She-Hulk. Um, I think when the season wraps up, I would love to do another sort of extended, like, like main topic episode about She-Hulk because I have theories and stuff I want to ask you about, and I'm excited to see where this show goes. Yeah, me too. I think we've got we've got some good stuff ahead. I'm very is it it's a six episode or a nine episode? I have no idea. I'm just taking it every week as it comes. Okay, because if it's six, I'm going to be sad because we're already halfway through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Any other weekly geek read? Because that's it for me. I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> I have too. But last weekend, um, I was it last? Yes, last weekend, um, I went to an online wedding. Ooh. Uh, between friends of the show, Todd from um, As the Dice Roll and Nerdberg Review, and Kelly Hightower, who is a big friend of the show. Whoa. Yeah, they got married um, on Friday, not this past Friday, but the Friday before. And they um, did, in, just with the, their friends, they did like a, uh, an online Dungeons and Dragons game. They had, I think, maybe. Uh. 10, 10 people present where they were. And then uh, Matt and I and Raven from Girls Gone Wow zoomed in and we all played a D&D one shot together because Todd met through Todd and Kelly met through as the dice roll. So no like, way. Yep. That is amazing. Congrats to them. Yeah. So uh, because of that, and I told this to Todd yesterday because we were recording um, what is not. Uh, he, uh, I, I had so much fun. It was hard to hear some stuff, but we got enough. And I was like, oh my God, I forget about playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like I want to be, I want to play. So anybody who wants a person <laughs> in their campaign, I'm down. I've got characters <laughs> in mind, but, um, but that's really any, any little spare time I have when I'm like, um, Normally, I would be looking up all the Marvel tie-ins, but I've put that aside for right now, and I'm watching like Dungeons and Dragons videos and looking up stats and that kind of stuff. So that's that's where a lot of my geekery has come in this last week. Very cool. Yeah. All righty. So we're going to hop over, have a quick break, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Sandman. And I am very curious to hear everything you have to think about this because this is kind of my first experience with the Sandman. So, wow. Yeah, we'll be right back. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the Geek2Geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community all dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like video games, Star Wars, beep, 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 beep. comics, beep. movies, K-pop, Disney+, Plus, Keanu. Keanu Reeves, new, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep, and each other in real time, and we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. All right, we are back. So, Sandman, Ray, I know you have read the books before seeing the show, yes? 
Oh yeah, many many times I've read them. I've read this series over several times. Okay, so I'm going to ask you because I am a Sandman newbie, which is kind of embarrassing, but you can't. <laughs> we've established you can't geek out on absolutely everything. It's just yeah. you pick and choose. Um, so how do you feel coming from that knowledge? How do you feel it represented the character and the franchise? Um, I ended up really enjoying this season and I think that's mostly because my expectations were very low. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it was one thing that I kept saying over and over again with every episode that we watched. It was, wow, they're doing a much better job with this than I was expecting. <laughs> this is actually pretty good. And then by the end, wow, that was really good. And then after the bonus episode, I was like, this is fucking great. Like they're really capturing a lot of what makes the book, you know, so, so special. I love how it kind of has this anthology feel without really being a true anthology. Yeah. You know, everything's connected, but every episode is almost its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's very much like the book itself. And um, I mean, it. I feel like modern television storytelling has taken a lot of its approach from comic books. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's been, you know, that's been talked about before. I mean, I think definitely with like the X-Files back in the day, people were like, oh my God, it's like a different story each episode, but they're all connected. And I'm like, have you read comic books? <laughs> because that's pretty much what it is. Um, so yeah, I thought, I, I was, I've been very pleasantly surprised by the first season. Um, I think overall it was pretty great. And, and there are a couple of things that I think just come with television storytelling that I tend to not gravitate towards anyway. So, mm -hmm. you know, this has some of that, but, uh, I can't wait for season two. I'm curious how somebody that has never read the books, uh, kind of responded to this season. Well, because I'm so like connected to the comics well just to the, to the yeah to comics and geek culture in general like i know a lot of what is going on even before even though i haven't read it like i knew who death was i knew who lucifer was um and had an idea of how they were characterized in this versus how they were characterized in other um mm -hmm. Because, I mean, these are big concept characters. These are not things that are just created by the Sandman, but the Sandman really takes a different spin on all of them. Yes. Um, and so, like, the death episode was by far my favorite. Like, I just mm -hmm. absolutely loved how the story it told. But it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to say that was my favorite because then I could say, well, I also liked the 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 one where he was with the guy who never died. And then... Mm -hmm. Like just there was just so many good stories, so many good stories. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that death story—it's uh, called "The Sound of Her Wings." That's one of, if not the most famous story from the series, uh, or, or issue, I should say, from the series. Um, and I, oh, Joe, when I tell you, you know, if if you're if you've been reading Sandman comics since, you know, say early nineties, it, it started being published in the, in the late nineties, but um, I started reading it in the early nineties. Um, some of these stories are extremely 
special to you, right? Like you've, mm-hmm. you right, know, right. especially considering I think the, the the run, the whole run, I think is like, I don't know how many books, but um, it definitely has a beginning, middle and an end to this story. It was never meant to be an ongoing title. So, you know, it's an epic story, but it is a, a contained finite story. So that's all you mm-hmm. get. Right. You become right. very nostalgic of and tied to that story, you know, and those specific issues as well. Um, so I was extremely apprehensive, to say the least, about starting that episode. I saw the title and I was like, oh, no, please, <laughs> <laughs> please don't mess this up. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really cool. It was a little bit surreal, to be honest with you, to watch that story sort of come to life and, and, you know, actors saying those lines and stuff like that. It was, it was pretty cool. I, I just think that like, I was, I was very emotional during that. I don't think I've ever oh, that's like great. had the emotional roller coaster watching one single episode. Then, um, then that, um, I, although I should come back, I did miss something in my weekly geekery that I will try and remember to, tag at the end because i also had the same kind of experience last night with an episode but not to the extent as the death episode in um in the sandman um trying to think of what else it's just it's such a surreal like you have to focus on it it's a very surreal series yeah well in doing some research for this podcast um i was looking at some of the like you know production um behind the scenes because they've been trying to make the sandman into a movie or television show for a long time now um and i really thought it was going to get made when joseph gordon levitt wanted to like produce and star as morpheus um i i was like oh shit we're it's gonna happen and then that fell apart after a rewrite you definitely in like reading some of the history of this stuff dude like Warner Brothers is just a shit show. Like, there's so <laughs> many. You know, they say stuff like creative differences, or, you know, they say, like, um, didn't, you know, uh, uh, didn't agree with the direction it was going in, or you hear stuff like, oh, this actor or director left because of a turf war that was happening at Warner Brothers. And you're just like, Jesus, like, Get your shit together, man. It just sounds terrible. It sounds like a terrible experience to want to be a creative person trying to get these things made. And then it's the politics and stuff, stuff that has nothing to do with the actual storytelling, sort of, you know, sabotaging these uh, um, these attempts. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of people starting to steer away from like when like when Warner Brothers calls and says, hey, we want to option your stuff. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are going to start going, no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah no thank yeah. you i will i will risk it not being produced as a movie before yeah. i let you have it because all it's going to do is get stuck in hell and limbo forever i know does this e- i mean it's not on hbo max it's on netflix right it was produced uh for netflix but can we count this as a win for dc like i, I really want to just <laughs> just for their sake like i want to be like Oh shit! Look, like DC has something. It has a feather in its cap. Finally, right. Well, I mean, I just I was a big fan of Vertigo when that was part of their yeah company, and I think one of the worst things they did was get rid of Vertigo. Yeah, um, agree. Because Agreed. because it was kind of like 
the company that was going to just do what it wanted and not worry about anybody else. And I think that's what, if DC wants to get good stuff made, mm-hmm. they need to stop worrying about everybody else and just try and do good stories. Cause that's mm-hmm. what made vertigo so great. It's like, we don't care if people don't like this. It's creative. We're interested in somebody will buy it. So yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, um, the possibility exists of doing similar to how the Marvel Knights stories were done for Netflix. If the vertigo stories could be done for Netflix instead of for HBO max, I would love to see a fables uh, series, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know what happened with that? No, they took it to, I think um, it may have even been Disney. They took it to Disney and then surprisingly once upon a time came out but oh oh. but they did an option fables right wow that sucks (laughs) um so looking first of all looking at the production of this show uh because i was actually you know also curious for my part like how the fuck did they get this all right Mm -hmm. um i don't know how goyer I don't know how you feel about David as Goyer. He's he's more missed than hit for me. And yet, because he's been part of some truly terrible comic book adaptations, I'm always shocked to see his name. It's like going something good. But this guy has, I mean, you know, the Crow City of Angels, he wrote. Dark City, he wrote. Blade, uh-huh. the original Blade. So you're like, okay. You know, like, but then he has like Blade Trinity, you know, on there. He has Jumper on there, but then he also has Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, and you're like, all right. And then he has Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance on there. That he's <laughs> you know, like it's just all over the place, man. And I'm, uh, I'm just, I don't know. He somehow has a hand in this, and you know, him and and Gaiman have produced this alongside a name that I wasn't familiar with, Alan Heinberg who um, I was like, oh, this is the showrunner. Okay, who is this guy? And I'm looking him up, and and on his Wikipedia page, it says that he created Kate Bishop. And I'm like, because he worked on, on you know, uh, the Disney Plus series. And I'm like, wait a minute. Kate Bishop existed in the comics before the fucking MCU series. How are they giving right. this guy credit for creating her? Well, it turns out he wrote the fucking comics. <laughs> Which I have no idea. Alan Heinberg wrote Young Avengers. Yeah, I, I seem to remember that name being associated with. Yeah, that's crazy. This, so the guy who's show running this Sandman uh, series, this DC series for Netflix, was a Marvel writer, Marvel comic books writer. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's how they got it. So good. Not that you know. <laughs> Not that you got to inject a little bit of Marvel in there, but you, you can um, you can say it, Ray. We we all know, <laughs> we all know. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's also he wrote a, he co-wrote JLA with Jeff Johns uh, at DC, and he relaunched Wonder Woman recently as well as the the sole writer. So okay, this guy has obviously he has comic book DNA in him, mm-hmm. you know, and it makes sense that he's treating along with Gaiman, obviously, that he's treating the source material um, with so much respect, right? Yeah. Uh, but that just really surprised me. That came out of left field for me. I was not expecting to read this morning that the writer of Young Avengers 
is show running the Sandman show. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about um, Tom Sturridge as, uh, as Dream? I think he's perfectly cast as Dream. Yeah, I thought he was pretty good. I always read, I always read Morpheus as a sort of Neil Gaiman stand-in. Like mm-hmm, he, that's mm-hmm. how that's how Neil wanted to see himself, you know. And, right, and, right. Um, and I think that Tom Sturridge. At first, I was like, "Oh no, are they going to lean too much into that?" And they're casting Neil Gaiman as opposed to casting Morpheus. But no, I think it's perfect um he looks exactly like some of the drawings you know like uh, right, um, right. some of the sam keith drawings some of the mike dringenberg uh, i think that's how you pronounce his last name um so uh yeah dringenberg some of his drawings like literally and i'm not saying like because because some of the shots are recreated from some of the panels in the comic book, which that's cool as well. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just like Tom Sturridge looks like he's drawn by Mike Dringenberg in some shots. And that's pretty amazing because he's a great actor, too. So I think he's doing a great job. I love that they're showing they're fully leaning into the flaws of the character because that the, the story is a lot about that. You see, it, it truly is. um I guess you could say a, a, about the the growth and the change that this character goes through over the course of, you know, the whole run of the Sandman comic. And I'm glad that we're starting him off in a place where you recognize that he does need to change. Like he doesn't always make the right decisions or good decisions. He is, you know, petty. He's vengeful. He's, uh, stubborn, and I'm really glad that they're showing us uh, this character true to the comics. And that's why I kind of loved that extra bonus episode at the end, because I feel like it wasn't just kind of thrown in there because, oh, we want to tell this last little story. It does continue the fact that you're seeing that he's changed, because the whole point is, is that she doesn't call on him because she doesn't think there's any way he would ever yeah, like want to help her, and then yeah. You know, he's like, well, I've I've changed, and so you can kind of see that it's right. a little cap based to based on all the experiences he's gotten through the series. The season. talking about Calliope, right? Yeah, Calliope. Yeah, that was. I'm surprised that they went there in some some episodes. I'm glad they did. Uh, I've also I'm noting the slight differences. You know, like in in that specific episode of that story uh, of Calliope. Um, when the writer uh, purchases her from the old, the older writer and takes her home uh, in this series, we see him sort of try to woo her, try to buy her the gifts. Uh, and eventually he decides to, you know, he needs to just take what he wants, which means he needs to rape her basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the story, he just takes her home and rapes her. Just like gotcha. there's no, there's no sort of like any point where he's, you know, conflicted or trying or doesn't know. He just, and obviously these show, these stories are written at a different time with a different sensitivity, you know, to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. these things. Um, and Neil Gaiman has said in interviews, which I read this morning, that he wanted to make this story 
he wanted to adapt this story to be as inclusive as possible and to also allow the story to reflect the time now that, that, you know, the current time that it's being told in. So um, you can see where and why those decisions were made. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's good for the show. Well, it gives it the, it gives it that incel feel to it. So where it's like, I'm Mm -hmm. doing all the right things. Why aren't you giving me what I want? Yes. Yes. Which is, which is a more, um, uh, you know, I think that's always been a problem, but I think it's a more publicized visual, um, visible problem nowadays. Right. Right. And they even, I mean, they really, they, they really highlight that if you, you know, you're watching the the episode and he's, he's giving an interview over the phone or he's talking to someone and he's saying, no, it needs to be inclusive and you know we can't do it that way we need to make sure that we're respectful to different identities and and the whole while he's on the phone saying that and the whole while he has he's abusing this poor woman right and he's right. giving her so that that you know that two-facedness if i if you'll allow me that clunky term you know is, is <laughs> definitely being being like focused on for sure um and and the fact that they've recast a lot or, or changed the race of a lot of these characters from the comics and expanded their roles, you know, um, his, uh, his assistant. Oh my God. Um, Lucien. Lucien? Yeah. Um, in the comics, it's a tall white British dude. Yeah. And, and fully a servant, like not a source of wisdom really in any substantial capacity, not a, you know, a, a uh, guide or, or anything, no one, not, not someone that he goes to for, you know, to consult with. Uh, but obviously having, I, I really like that. They didn't just say, okay, we're going to make the same exact character. Uh, we're going to cast this character with a black woman. No, they're saying, because now this character is being played by somebody different we need to honor that and we need the story to sort of reflect that full, you know, what are we trying to do here? We're not just swapping different uh, ethnicities or identities out. We need to now reflect that in the story. So that I, I really, really enjoyed that. I I think that in, in these ways, I actually am enjoying um, these aspects of the show that are not present in the original comic book story. I, I know that a lot of the um, the races and genders were altered, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool because it kind of like I have never seen a story make gender such a non-issue. Like I really feel like everything about it is like it doesn't matter what the gender of this person is or mm-hmm. it's there. These are primordial concepts Mm -hmm. (laughs) they they are they are a gendered so let's just you know let's play with this all i think that's amazing but is constantine in the comic books joanna constantine or is it the constantine we know from all the other tv series and movies and stuff it's hellblazer it's john constantine yeah that's what i thought Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and so i was curious i was at first i didn't see it didn't read to me right away as, oh, it's the same character, but gender swapped, right? I was I was like, oh, where's this going? When is John Constantine going to And then I, oh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, sadly, like 10 minutes later, I was like, oh, duh. They, okay, got it. Like, this is not John Constantine in this story. I thought Joanna was going to be another character they introduced. Um, 
You know what's funny, Joe, though? Like, reading on Twitter, like, I've seen takes mm-hmm. where, I mean, obviously, people are just going to complain, right? Like, that's, right, of course. that's, hey, you know, and you know what? Feel free. Go ahead. You right. know, vent. That's what Twitter's for. Um, <laughs> so I've, I've seen a couple people that I follow uh, complain about that specific switch because in the comics, Morpheus and John Constantine have this sort of, I don't want to call it like a flirtation, but there's definitely like a sexual like energy, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, will they, won't they kind of? And obviously, if you gender swap the character of Constantine, then now it's a it's a more hetero vibe that's present. Right. But overall, does it benefit the story? If if your goal is in, in inclusivity and representation, does it overall benefit the story to to have that role played by a woman? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, Same. and it's funny because I didn't feel very much sexual tension between the two of them whatsoever. Right, <laughs> like I felt right. like that was uh, that was something that they didn't, um, you know. So it's not like, yeah, they swapped the gender so that it would be more heteronormative to have them kind of will they won't they? Right. Um, they just didn't they didn't touch it. And another instance of this, um, so a lot of the characters, a lot of the the black characters in this show are recast from being white people in the book mm-hmm. and like almost all of them <laughs> okay there's right, like right. almost no black people in the because i know book. i know death is is um portrayed as a white oh woman yeah in 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 the comic yes. and what about rose walker because that's the character i'm not familiar with white okay that's Un- right unity kincaid white Lucien white like it's it's you know and so kudos to Neil Gaiman for saying yeah we know we need to change that you know like that was a mistake on my part or I wasn't doing you know everything that I could that I should have done and so you know we're thankfully we we've learned uh a Mm -hmm, little bit mm -hmm. um although crucially in the um oh Mazikeen as well um is a white demon that's the demon with the half face like Lucifer's sort of um right hand um, well, that see that that was because they cast because um, I you you know that I know that you probably never watched it because it's <laughs> on the surface it is an abomination to the uh, <laughs> to the Sandman franchise and all its uh, subsidiaries. But Lucifer, the procedural TV show, mm-hmm. um, they have Mazikeen, um in it, and oh, cool, and she is a she is a person of color. Oh, cool! I didn't yeah, know she, that she's she's a great character. Like I, I know a lot of people who just didn't give Lucifer a go because it's like, oh, they've taken something that is like you have to look at it as not being Lucifer from the comics, uh-huh. and just let it be what it is. It's a really good series. At least the first couple seasons are. Uh huh. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about that show actually. Um, the character. Oh, I want to say. Her name is Nadia? No, maybe it's not Nadia. Um, Nada. Nada. Um, she is a character from the comics. Um, and I believe that story takes place in Africa. And she is uh, a member of an African tribe that uh, Morpheus falls in love with. 
And, uh, you know, what ends up happening is he ends up basically sending her to hell. Yeah, I, so, I got. They didn't really follow up on that storyline. They just kind of. I assumed that was going to be like something that got dealt with in a season two. Yes, it's in one of the later books, and season one covers the first two books. It covers Preludes and Nocturnes and the Doll's House. So, um, but obviously that character, because from the stories she's uh, part of an African tribe, then you know that is one of the few characters that is black, both you know obviously in the story and in the show. Um, but uh, I was going somewhere with that, with the cast that we were talking about, because, oh, oh, uh, again, sort of criticisms about some of the changes, um, not going, not coming from where you think they're coming from. Um, for instance, a couple of people on Twitter I saw complaining about the fact that they have black characters in this show experiencing horrific things <laughs> like really, you know, which makes sense for the, sh- for the show and for the story, because the story is about these things. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. then that means that if you, if you recast some of these characters with black actors, well, now you're witnessing black people going through some pretty horrific things, mm-hmm. you know, being tortured, being ta- traumatized. And so, I saw a couple of people point out like it's kind of shitty of this show to just be yet another story where we have to watch black people suffer and which yes, absolutely makes sense. And then at the same time, it's like, so do we keep those characters white? Do we change the story so that these things don't happen to it's tricky, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. I, don't, I don't profess, I don't profess to have the answers to that. Um, I don't know if I'm the one that, you know, should be trying to find the answers to that, but, um, I do think it's interesting, like all the layers of, you know, um, I think overall it's a good thing. I think that although that can be a new problem that is created, I think the, the, for me, it seems like the direction to go in is to now to continue going forward with inclusivity and representation and now try to address the problems that may come from that as opposed to saying oh then let's not strive for inclusivity right 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 yeah Uh, it becomes it's a little bit of that it's a little bit of that tell tell new stories don't try to adapt old stories and i think this is a little bit of why because because um it, it does it does create these these hiccups it does yeah. create these little problems that you you're trying not you're not trying to create them but just inherently it you don't think about it it just happens and mm-hmm. now we we've got different problems but i think that's okay all in all, yeah yeah exactly i think all in all the the fact that they were so free with race and gender on this that I, I do think that there are a lot of positives that do come out of it. I hope. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I, I get what you're saying. I wouldn't call it free because it does seem like they put a lot of thought into it, you know, and mm-hmm. they weren't just like, Oh, let's just select these characters at random to, you know, make like non-white, but no, it seems like they were like, okay, now that this character is not white, you know, because this character, or, or maybe this character is a woman now, we need to, you know, maybe look at the story and see, you know, where there are changes that we want to make that reflect that. Yeah, I think when I say free, I meant like they 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 weren't going to treat it with kid gloves and be like, no, 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 we can't. Like they were like 
they were mm-hmm. able to look at the whole thing and go, okay, you know, what story do we want to tell? Like they weren't married to, it has to be this way. Yeah. What, what kind of genre would you describe this show as? I'm curious. I'm super curious. I I would say fantasy. Like, yeah. I feel like it's definitely, it's definitely urban fantasy. And I mean, that's honestly, that's my, my favorite genre period. Mm-hmm. And for, for me, um, this doesn't necessarily scratch the urban fantasy itch the way something like a Dresden files would, or, you know, some other properties out there. This is such its own thing for the, the closest I can kind of refer to it. Like the, the category that I can put it the most with is uh sense eight where Interesting. they're creating something that is so completely unique in its own that it really makes you kind of not try and lump it in with other genres. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. sense eight is very much sci-fi, but it's not any type of sci-fi you've seen before. Yeah. And I think that's the same thing here. This is definitely fantasy, but it's not typical like D and D fantasy or even, um, uh, urban fantasy like Harry Potter or anything like that. It's so, different and it's so unique and it's really like you i just kept stopping and like in between episodes i would go i don't know what this is and i love it right when you're you're you're, you stop thinking about the sort of um the genre um you know what's the word i'm looking for the the rules yeah Yeah, the the tropes. tropes thank you the tropes yes um you stop thinking or worrying about that and you slowly start to feel like this story could go anywhere and it's such a pleasurable experience right one of one of the things i was most impressed by was the fact that i didn't hate dream i was sure like after seeing how he's (laughs) kind of being portrayed in the like because he's not the most likable character he's very alien Mm. he's very not human and it's very easy to sit there and go i to bounce off of it or be tired of his detachment or to be frustrated by the fact that he's not making choices that you normally see being made in these kind of stories Mm -hmm. and and yet i didn't dislike him i was very captivated by him yeah one of the most brilliant choices that neil gaiman ever made was making death the most human of, of right? the endless. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and, and oh. with, with full explanation as to why, like, yeah. like she's fully explains why she is the most human out of all of them. Yes. Yes. And I love that line about, uh, I think Morpheus says it about, you know, they're the most afraid of your realm. Uh, when really, you know, they enter my realm every night willingly and it is way more terrible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I was, one of the things that I was worried about as a fan of the comics from way back is, Oh, has, have, has, a sort of general storytelling, pop culture sensibilities, moved past the, you know, what this story has to offer, you know, because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. things are created for a certain time 
And uh, they may seem innovative for that time. But if you wait too long to experience it, the general the general sensibility has sort of already uh, uh, like included that innovation and sort of built off of it. You know, so many things have probably been influenced by the Sandman at this point that we're, that we know well that, but when we go to watch the Sandman, it might be, Oh, what's so special about this? You know, it's like never having listened to, you know, the Beatles, but the Beatles have been so influential that, you know, if you come to the Beatles decades late, you might think, well, what's so great about this? Like, this sounds like so many other things. Well, yeah, it's because all those other things were influenced by this. But at the time, the, you know, this thing was like innovative. It was not, nothing existed like it. And I was worried about that with the show. I was like, you know, are these stories going to seem sort of anticlimactic or just like not really uh, impactful because it's been so long since they were first written? But thankfully, no, like I watched it. I watched it with someone who didn't know these stories at all, and they still had the same impact, which is great. Okay, so you just triggered you just triggered the English teacher because as you're talking about this, I'm like, well, yeah, because the um, the stories that he's telling are universal. And so um, when you in an English class, when you define something as universal, um, it's something that you can t- you can move to any time or place or mm. um, situation, and it will still resonate with the people who are living in that time. Right. And the one of the best examples of that is Shakespeare, because although I would say over the last couple of decades, maybe ten or fifteen years, um, a lot of his universality is actually expiring. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, the first one to go was, was taming of the shrew. <laughs> like yes. there is, there is no way to add to, to make that universal anymore because it like, we look at it, we go, that is definitely of its time and it may have been progressive of its time, but it's still problematic. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff in there that because it, it deals with um, just your basic human emotions everybody can kind of relate to it no matter what time or place it's set. And I feel like this is a good modern example of something that has that Shakespearean universality where I think you can move the story into different, like you, you could probably produce it in another 20, 30, 40 years and people yeah. are going to be able to find things that resonate with them in it because it has that universality. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I agree with you. However, I think that if you have are watching 10 things I hate about you, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and you for the first time and you have you don't know the taming of the shrew, that is a different experience of that movie than if you've read Taming of the Shrew uh, a bunch of times and you know it well and then you sit down and watch 10 things I hate about you. It just doesn't have the same impact. You know what I mean? Well, I think, I think that's exactly what you and I here are, are experiencing here because you are how ha- mm-hmm. you were experiencing this series on a completely different level than I am. And so I, I can only come with it to it as saying, these are the things that I see based on my initial watch, but I'm not having that Beatles experience where I'm like, Oh, this is derivative of, yeah, yeah. But I'm glad that people still seem to be having an experience with this show. 
Yeah. You know, like that, that makes me very, very happy. Like that, that death episode, the sound of her wings. Yeah. There mm-hmm. were tears. There were tears in, in my living room, you know, and I was and not from me. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> so great that this is still having this impact. You know, that's like, I, that, that makes me extremely happy. Um, I, I had to stand and walk around like, you know, it's, it's yeah. the same. Honestly, it's the same feeling. <laughs> like when you're watching something that's really intense and tension and you're like, I can't watch this right now. I'm going to listen. So it keeps mm-hmm. going and I know it's happening, but I cannot look. I had mm-hmm. moments of that in that episode where it's like, there's this too much emotion right now. I need to, I need to somehow separate myself from it because it's, it's not, it's going to bad places. I need to yeah. separate myself. <laughs> And knowing where this story goes, oh my God, Joe, I'm like giddy. Like at what people are going to get to experience because, I mean, I think you were touching on this earlier. Um, after maybe my second or third time rereading the series, I was able to sort of recognize instead of just being, you know, cause you can't help if you're reading it for the first time, you cannot, but just be sucked in. Like you're, you're right. present on every page. And then, you know, once you read it a few times, you sort of start to see more of the bones of it. And I recognize like, Oh, Neil Gaiman did this really smart thing where he, all, all he really, what he's trying to do is he's trying to set up a, a world where he can tell whatever kind of story he wants to tell. Right. Some stories are horror stories. Some stories are heavy on mythology. Some stories are very, very fantasy. Some stories are a mix. You know, some stories are more like comedy. Some are even sci-fi. And Mm -hmm. because the main character is dream, like literally the embodiment of dreams, He's able to tell whatever fucking kind of story he wants. And it's so smart to do that, to mm-hmm. set that up in that way. Um, so so in terms of like genre, yeah, it does become its own thing because it's a lot of things. Every right, story right. could be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if the whole serial killer invention uh, convention is a thing in the story. Oh, yeah. Is that- oh, yeah. That takes on a completely new, in my mind, it takes on a completely new aspect in the age of true crime documentaries. Like, everybody is following this stuff, and so it it takes a whole different spin on it. It, It's very interesting. Yeah. it's This show is extremely faithful to the books. Um, One minor difference... And I think this is more because the comic books, you know, are more tied to the greater DC universe. Um, in in the comic book for the Doll's House, Jed is experiencing this dream life. Right, he's being held captive in a basement by his foster parents, mm-hmm. and he escapes into his dream world um, where he's safe. But in the show. He is the, he turns into a superhero called the Sandman, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the comic book, the Sandman is played by Hippolyta's or Hippolyta. I can't remember how you pronounce it. I think it's Hippolyta. Um, Lita, she's called in the show. Uh, Hippolyta's husband is the Sandman superhero in Ned's, in Jed's dreams. Okay. 
So which one's Hippolyta? Like I'm Hippolyta's the one. Hippolyta's the one that gets impregnated in her dream. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So, and so her <laughs> husband is the one who. So there's that it, intersectionality of yes the two characters. Yes. So they're all sharing like a similar dream, right? Because the the you know um, the the two nightmares, the two characters from the dreaming that escaped and are hanging out and hiding out in Jed's dream world, they've broken down the barriers between and like so Hippolyta doesn't even really exist in our world. She's fully asleep, and her and her dead husband are in Jed's are sharing Jed's dreams and her dead husband is the Sandman, right? Okay. Yeah. So um like stuff like that, uh in the comics it it really does connect more to the DC universe. And if you know if you're reading the comic it makes sense. But if you're watching the show that's just like what the fuck? Like why? <laughs> like people right, right. would be watching going, "What the hell? Like why?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and if I'm and if I'm, ah, man, it's been a while since I've read these, but I'm pretty sure. Have you heard of um, uh, Dead Man? I want to say. No, probably not. Never mind. Never mind. That's the thing that I made up in my head. But anyway, yeah, so stuff <laughs> like that. What, what is uh, the way it's explained in the comics is that while Dream was held captive in that basement, right? Like he was, mm-hmm. he was conjured by that uh, coven or whatever, and he was held captive for a hundred years. The universe was seeking to fill the gap, and that's why we got the DC, the old like. Uh, golden era DC comics, the Sandman. Gotcha. That's why the one who wears the gas mask and stuff. Uh huh. Like that's why he existed as a superhero was because the universe was, you know, Morpheus was being held captive and the universe was trying to fill that gap somehow. So this guy started to, you know, get inspired to be the Sandman superhero. So like little stuff like that in the comics, you know, that obviously they, they're not going to, there's really no need to put it in the show because then it becomes just a whole can of worms that you're opening. Right. It's, it's so much better that it exists in its own universe without having to spread into the DC universe. Yes. Yes. And and (laughs) they're smart for, they're smart for going, we're not touching that. (laughs) That's a big mess over there. It's a hot mess. We don't want to deal with. So we'll just stay in our lane. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's so fucking smart of them to do that because unlike Marvel, where they want to build as many connections as possible, right. right? And because they can do that, they've they've earned it. And with DC, it seems like it has to be a very different approach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is, oh, my God, this is working. Let's protect it at all costs from the rest <laughs> of the DC universe. Yeah, but it's like Warner Brothers reaches in and somebody's slapping the hand away. No, <laughs> don't. <touch the door. laughs> but other, other than that, the show is extremely um, faithful to the comics. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. I am definitely like I have. Okay, so here's my thing with Neil Gaiman. I appreciate his writing. I think, and I think I mentioned this last time. I have trouble with him, especially his comic books, because when I sit down to read. He's got a lot of prose in his comic books. Yep. And when I am in the mood to sit down and read comic books, I'm like, well, where are like this is a lot of heavy prose that I have to get through. 
mm-hmm. to keep up with the story. And I think that's a disconnect that for me, I I've always struggled with because again, when I'm in comic book mode, why am I reading paragraphs and paragraphs of, of story? And so that is, I think always been my struggle. I think mm-hmm. now if I go back and I look at it as I'm going to go back and read the novels of this series mm-hmm. and not approach it as like a comic book, realize yes. I'm going to have to be reading. I think that's going to help me get, through the series because i've started sandman two or three times and i just can't get through it because again my brain is not in that mode yeah so now i think i understand enough about what because when i i i didn't finish the i don't remember why i think it was maybe when i was borrowing it from um the library and then i just got audible and was done with it but um i got about halfway through american gods i was really enjoying it and I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this because I'm in the mode of listening to mm-hmm. prose and not having to have that visual stimulation of pictures built in. So I, I, I'm hoping I'm going to have a little bit of time coming up in the next couple of weeks that I'm hoping I can download some Sandman and use that as my um, my comic f- well my, my literary my literary fix for the next couple of weeks because I'm really mm-hmm. curious to read ahead and go into the story of obviously not having the nostalgia connection that you do but having a little bit of basis and and appreciate it for on a on a different level you're you know you're absolutely right and I've never thought about that before but it is not like a comic book read no it's not a comic book read that's true yeah, it took me a minute to get used to that. The first book, I read the books out of order uh, to start, obviously. Then I realized, oh, they're all connected. So let me start at the beginning. But uh, yeah, it did take me a minute to acclimate. Fortunately, I was relatively, it was still relatively early on in my comic book readership. So I, you know, I was able to sort of make, I was still discovering the fact that there was more than just superhero comics out there. Right. <laughs> yeah. So anything else you wanted to touch on on the show? Um I feel like one thing, uh, <laughs> one unfortunate thing was that every time I heard Patton Oswalt's voice, it took me out of the show. I've heard a lot of people say that. My friend Robert was <laughs> kind of not loving Patton Oswalt. He's a big Patton Oswalt fan, but he was like, I'm not, not loving this. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. He's got such a distinct voice. And it's not, honestly, it's not a 21st century voice, if it sound, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like yeah. it feels like it belongs in like the fifties or sixties <laughs> sitcom. Yeah. It's just got that tone to it. I didn't realize, did you realize that Merv Pumpkinhead is Mark Hamill? No, I did not know that. I just I was didn't... like <laughs> I was just reading through the because I got the um the um the IMDB site up just so that I knew who these people are that we're talking about. And I was like, wait, Mark Hamill, what did he play? Oh, Merv Pumpkinhead. Oh, wow. That's so cool. I didn't think they were going to include Merv just because it's so out there. Like, why? There's no way they're just going to have this character walk on screen and he's got he's a fucking talking pumpkin head. And then Merv <laughs> walks on and you're like, oh, shit. They really went there. There were some other things, too. Like, I love that they're introducing us slowly to the other Endless, you know? So we've met Despair and, and uh, Desire. And... um I didn't think they were going to do the thing with Despair's ring and or with her sigil because she uses it to literally carve uh, through the skin on her face and her body. And she does it and they show it. And I'm like, whoa, they're really going there. Uh, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, so, honestly, I'm, there's somebody there's somebody out there who's watching that and and connects with it. Like they've they've had mm-hmm. that struggle. They've had that struggle, and so mm-hmm. you know we talk about representation. That that's there too. There's so much to this world that I don't want to spoil for you because uh, it's just so brilliant. The way he explo- the way he sets up this you know this uh, story, this platform for a story. There's seven brothers and sisters called the Endless, and they are the embodiments of different aspects of human experience. Mm-hmm. And then the way he then sets forth exploring that with each character is pretty amazing. So uh, what did you think about the the fates, the three uh, witches? Oh, I love the fates. I, I thought <laughs> they were I thought they were so much uh, like again, it's a it's a as an as an former English teacher mm-hmm. and a theater teacher who has to like oh, I've read places where they're like if you're a director you need to be a jack of all trades and kind of know a lot about a lot a little about a lot of different things and so I have that literary background where I'm like oh the fates let's see what they do with them because mm-hmm. everybody looks at the fates in a different way and I thought it was a very good classic approach of the fates like <laughs> the fates are not people you want to run into ever right like, they're just not right <laughs> and then i mean just the way he pulls in so many you know aspects of mythology from different cultures um i don't know this is like maybe minor spoiler not really but at one point in the comics i don't know if they're gonna do this in the show for reasons that will become obvious but in the comic books at one point thor and loki show up Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, it makes it makes sense because I mean, like we're we're approaching it as in the entire world is, um, you know, all of all of mythology is somehow real, exactly. And so, and and that's what. Okay, so here's the thing I do love about Gaiman and I why I've I've tried so many times to connect with his material and just had reasons why it has not worked out. I think he loves mythology as much as I do, because it's so infinitely malleable. Mm. And, and I love stories that take things that, you know, and go, how can I play with this and make it look different? Like, I love the wizard of Oz because it's, it's um, free domain. And so anybody can take it and flip it on it, flip it on its head. And sometimes it's, Terrible outcome. There are some very horrible adaptations of The Wizard of Oz out there, but there's some very interesting takes on it. Same thing with Alice in Wonderland. Like the the things that you can take and look at from a different perspective are just so fascinating mm-hmm. to me. So I love the fact that he just is taking and playing freely with um, all this yes. mythology and and stuff. I love it. Yes, love it. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Uh, more, I guess you could say, <laughs> Marvel connections. Bast shows up as well. Oh, okay. So, you know, yeah, he definitely is playing with mythology heavily. And also, it, it's it almost kind of feels like, you know what? This is, I fucking made this playground. I'm going to play, you know, with what I want to play with. Like, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, it's pretty great. Um, Man, I'm super excited. It sucks that we got to wait for a second season, but, uh, you know. But again, it's <sighs> like, those are the things that you look forward to. And you're like... You know, it's going to be an event when it comes back. Yeah, that's true. All right. So are we wrapping up the 
the Sandman because I do want to go back and hit a weekly geekery that I just want to tell everybody about because it's amazing. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, um, and my husband's here and he's going to laugh at me because I was so resistant against this. Um, I have been absolutely loving for all mankind mm-hmm. on, <laughs> he's like, mm-hmm. um, it is, uh, it is on Apple TV and it is basically a what if series. And the idea is what if um, we continue to go to the moon after the initial landing. And it actually it stems from the idea that Russia got there first. And it's, I am not, I don't like space movies and I do not like space shows. I just, the idea of floating around in a void where anything can happen and you're dead like it just stresses me out, and I oh often. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it, it it just it stresses me out, and I don't. Uh, I also find that the genre tends to be very very slow because it's that's how it builds up that suspense. Have you um, watched? Have you watched um, Gravity? Yeah, I hated that movie. <laughs> I bet you hated that movie. Are you kidding? I hated that movie so much. I oh just, my God, Joe. Like, it was painful to sit through because it is just, like, it's anxiety-producing and, yep. and it's slow. Like, and the first, <laughs> I will tell you right now, the first, because it's just making me sit there quietly and exist with this stress. I, that's yep. why I don't think I like these spe- space movies. But okay. the first two or three episodes of the series, I was just looking at Matt, and I'm like, this is slow, and it's boring, and I'm over it. Um, we are now about three or four episodes into um, the second season. It is one of the best, most well-written series I have ever watched. Like I sit wow. there and appreciate it as a viewer, and then I appreciate it as a person with an acting background. There's characters that it has this. It has this very madman feel, madman feel, because it's taking place in the sixties and seventies, and you're like, okay, um, you know, you're, they're they're dealing with a lot of the the problematic issues back then. But then you add this fact that now we've got a space race that's really intense going on. It's so good, Ray. And I know how much you love Mad Men. I yes. think I think you're really gonna like this. The it is. You said that. I'm like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, it's so good. It's like I we watched an episode last night. It was like episode three or four in season two. And Matt and I are just bawling. Like we're like that whole we can't even look at each other because it's just too much kind of thing. And um and I I walk up to get his tissue and they're, they're still playing, and I'm like, fuck, this is a good show. Like, like it it's it's so good. Oh it, you have you have to get through you have to get through the first two or three episodes not because they're not good but they're okay. very slow it's very much that apollo 13 all right we're going to do this space thing now we're going to do this space thing now we're going to you know it's that very slow burn and very nasa yeah com- command yeah procedural stuff and you're just like move on <laughs> no, <laughs> like, i love that shit though i love that shit yeah, it's like either blow them up or don't, but do something. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah, you're going to love it. <laughs> okay. 
we've been thinking about starting the new Game of Thrones uh, prequel, but we're kind of on the fence about that. And so this sounds like maybe something I want to do instead. Yeah, do this one instead. And, cool. and tell me, like, when you start going through it, like, we're on, I like I said, I think season two, episode three or four. So if you zip past us, which I know sometimes you guys do, <laughs> um, uh, don't don't spoil past that. But I want to hear what you think as you're going along, because it's such a good show. It's, such a good um, show. Three seasons are out, and yes. it's, I'm just saying it was renewed for a fourth season. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's... It. There's like a time jump between season two, season one and season two. So you're going to see like, oh, okay. They're really pushing through what this like fictional history is. That's and great. I love what that do they shit. bring in from real history and what do they bypass or what changes because things didn't happen the way they did. It's really good. All right. I'm there. Right. So that's my little recommendation to end the episode. <laughs> awesome. Oh, he worked on the, the showrunner Ronald D. Moore worked on Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. It, it makes sense. It very much <laughs> makes sense. Right. Um, and it's got what's the guy's name from um, Altered Carbon and um, Alexander uh, Skarsgård? No, no, no. Um, the the one who plays um, the the main guy in the Suicide Squad movies. Oh, Joel Kinnaman. Yes. He's good. Like I've always looked at him as kind of an action jock. He's yeah. good. Like Im- like impressive good. And the the woman who plays his wife is just amazing. I was like, "Oh god, it's going to have another one of those um what was um what was Don Draper's wife's name? Betty? Yeah, she has that. She starts off with that Betty Draper feel, and I'm like, oh god, yeah. not another woman that I absolutely despise. Um, <laughs> the the actress is amazing. You, it does not have this, even yeah. though she's that she's that same trope. It does not yeah. have the same effect. That's so funny to me because uh, I always confuse Joel Kinnaman with uh, Alexander Skarsgård, even though they're completely different actors. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Joel Kinnaman was an altered carbon, but to me, it's like the same dude. I don't. <laughs> yeah, well, this might change it for you because again, he's not just an action jock; he's really, I think, pretty good. Cool, awesome. That's that's right. going to be queued up tonight. Yes, I, I want to hear after your, uh, you know, get to contact me after like episode three or four because okay. one and two you might be like, mm, but um, but by three or four, let me know if you're hooked. <laughs> cool. Oh, all right. Um, so I guess that's it. We're just gonna move on. All the music in this episode is bent by Ben Sound is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geekitude is yes. I have a shout out. Oh no, you never have shout outs. Okay. <laughs> we'll go back. <laughs> By all means, shout out. <laughs> I have a very special shout out this week, I feel like. Um, because my shout out is to my friend Lourdes, Lourdes Briseño. Um, she and I go way back. I believe we first met in the seventh grade at Hollenbeck uh, Middle School. And um, I'm shouting out Lourdes because uh, she, in the eighth grade, handed me a comic book. Uh, at the time, I had I had just started. I mean, I had read comic books 
since I was 10 years old. But it wasn't until the eighth grade in middle school that I discovered Image Comics and became a regular at my local comic book shop with a pull list that I would pick up every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was... I was reading some Superman, I was reading some Spider-Man, I was reading some X-Men, but really, really the bulk of my extensive pull list was image comic stuff because I was I was mostly focusing on the artwork and I was trying to, you know, be better at drawing. That was around the time where I decided I wanted to be an artist or at least a comic book artist for, you know, for my career. Yeah. You were doing a lot of Savage Dragon back then, right? A lot of Savage. That was my favorite comic was Savage Dragon. But I also, I mean, I did it all. I was all in on image comics. So like I was reading um, Cyber Force. I was reading Spawn. I was reading Wildcats. Um, I would pick up all the like solo, like specials, all the um, issue zeros. Uh, I, you know Shockingly, I never really got into Youngblood. Um, <laughs> I tried, but I just, you know, some part of me knew that it's like, no, you're not a <laughs> fan. You're not a Liefeld fan. Nope. Uh, but anyway, Lourdes and I had a pretty um, special, I feel like, friendship from early on. Um, actually, and this is maybe TMI, I don't know. She's actually my first kiss. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, and so for many reasons, this person is special to me, but one of the reasons that is pertinent to this episode is that she taught me about a lot of cool shit as, you know, tends to be the case. I, I'm sorry to generalize here, but girls just tend to be fucking cooler than boys. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Not going to disagree. And, uh, you know, she, she, when I was listening to, you know, whatever music I was listening to at the time, I was into, you know, punk rock. She handed me my first, you know, Misfits cassette and my first, um, you know, Undead uh, cassette and my first, you know, just whatever, I mean, name it, you know, Minor mm-hmm. Threat cassette. And she happened to hand me a comic book issue and say, hey, I see you reading comics. You should check this out. And it was uh, the first issue of Death, The High Cost of Living, which was the Death solo spinoff series. It was a mini series that Neil Gaiman spun off of Sandman mm-hmm. due to the popularity of the character. Right. And I, I and I remember walking home from school that day. It used to take me half an hour to walk home. And I would frequently walk home from high school through my hood reading a comic book with my face in a comic, basically asking to be fucked with. Right. But <laughs> I, I couldn't help it. I was all frequently too excited to wait till I got home to read my comic. So I would, and, and also I think it kind of provided me some sort of cover, some sort of um, sanctuary from my surroundings. You know, I, I, not to play into the stereotype, but I did grow up in a somewhat violent, area right and you know i i think comic books were were a sanctuary from that so it, reading me you know with a comic book not really looking up other than to make sure it's cleared across the street walking home a half hour through 
you know, Boyle Heights in the nineties, that was pretty common. Um, and I, when I tell you that I just got sucked into this world that was unlike any comic book store I had ever read, it was just regular people. No one was roided out. No one was, you know, there was no punching or flying or action. No one was in ridiculous costumes. It was just people. And yet I was just completely invested in this story. And by the time I got home, I was like, mom, this can't wait. We need to go to the comic book store. I need to, to buy more of whatever this is. And mm-hmm. so I, I bought the rest of the death issues. And after reading that story, I, I you know, and being a, a faithful reader of Wizard uh, Magazine at the time, Mm-hmm. Oh God! I, yes, <laughs> I learned that Death was actually a side character in a larger story called The Sandman, and I promptly I couldn't even find I couldn't even wait to go to the comic book store to buy Sandman because I had seen these books at my my Tower Records, the Tower Records in Monterey oh, Park, God, yes, at Atlantic. And so I took a bus. I couldn't even wait for my mom to take me, dude. I, when I tell you, I scrounged together what money I could. And I took a bus to Tower Records in East LA on the border of East LA and Monterey Park on Atlantic. And I just at random, I picked up because they had several Sandman books along with a bunch of other random shit. Tower Records was awesome. And I, I just gra- I grabbed a Sandman book and I took it home. I, re- I started reading it on the bus ride home, obviously, and I devoured it. And then I was like, shit, $25 was a lot of money for me. And each graphic novel cost 20 to $25. So I had to wait to buy the next one. And the, the first one that I wrote was called Brief Lives. And um, it's amazing. And then I realized, oh, like there's a, a, an order here. So then, you know, from there on, I think it took me maybe a month, a month and a half to be able to afford to buy another book. And I started at the beginning, Preludes and Nocturnes. Um, but it was all because of Ludacris. Like if she, if, if she didn't hand me that comic and say, God, let me help this poor guy. <laughs> 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 let, me, let me put him on game here because, <laughs> you know, um, that, yeah. That's um, a very, very, very special moment in my life. It literally changed my life, you know? So um, shout out to Lourdes. I know that she recently um, lost her mom and she's been, uh, you know, grieving, uh, sharing some of her grief on social media. And while, you know, I, I offered her my condolences, obviously, um, it's also nice to see my friend on social media. She's now posting more about like where, her, what her life is like and, you know, fun trips that she takes with her husband and partner and that sort of thing. And that's been really cool to see. So shout out to Lourdes. You're the best. Thank you so much for handing me that, that comic book issue. That's so awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. What a cool way to end the, you know what? <laughs> what a cool way to end the show. I almost don't want to do the regular outro. <laughs> I feel like I'm done. <laughs> I'm good. Um, so yeah, so we're we're actually going to end it right here because you've heard wow. the you've heard the outro before, and there's no reason to repeat it today. Um, but we will be back pretty soon. Um, Ray and I will have to talk about when that's going to be, and we hope that you all keep it geek this week. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.